When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to start a youtube channel and you were to go on and publicly share ideas in iraqi arabic about atheism would you be putting <laughs> I would yourself executing myself and i was basically executing myself in okay public. well then yeah. don't do that yeah it's not, it's, not, it's not to this degree it's not to this degree because uh, there are welcome everybody to podcast number 76 no i don't know what number this is how you doing man What's up, dude? Bienvenido. I watched the Kevin Hart thing last night on Netflix. Nice. I watched, I binge watched five episodes one night and then one episode last night. Are there only six episodes? There's only six episodes. Mazel tov. To prepare for this. So for you, who I told you briefly and people who don't know, he's got, I think it's called Don't F This Up is mm-hmm. the title of it. And it's a documentary of the year that includes his uh, cheating on his wife became public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole Twitter debacle of the tweets that he had written in 2009 and 2010 came up he of course got the nod to host the oscars and then lost <laughs> the oscars and a thing that i didn't realize he it was a small scuffle but uh got in a fight with a very close friend in his posse in a small plane and was nearly arrested afterwards so the whole idea is like he's constantly talking about messing up and effing up and then does so several times <laughs> over the course of the documentary it was super super interesting you should watch it Really? You think it's worth watching? So the first thing that I appreciated in it was we're like, oh, man, it'd be so – and I still think it would. It'd be so cool to get Kevin Hart on the podcast and ask him all these questions. And what this – this is true of everybody in the world. Kevin Hart is just a dude. Yeah. He happens to be hilarious, and he happens to work incredibly hard. But he is not living, and I mean this, a better life than somebody who is – pretty happy <laughs> yeah, and not you mean to say like that, a middle class person who just is happy yes and that's not to say that he's miserable or depressed clearly he but he is undoubtedly and a workaholic uh who had a tough string of events come up and continues and i, I don't think he totally acknowledged this to struggle with the after effects of uh, an absent father and you know he says it doesn't impact him at all but like and then by the end of it, he's like, I guess I am a lot like my dad that, you know, in the ways that he mess up are the ways that I continue to mess up. So he's not miserable. He's not depressed. But he – all of his millions of dollars do not buy him a higher quality of life nor deeper insight into the human condition. Mm-hmm. He is undoubtedly hilarious though. Like he yeah. is so freaking funny. And so it would be cool to talk to him. But I think I've always imagined in the back of my head that if we had somebody really famous on the other couch, you were sitting right here with me. 
that life would somehow be different mm. if that happened. And we'd it, get more views, <laughs> and then we'd get more money, and yeah. then we could be like Kevin Hart. And we could hang out with Kevin and his friends, and things would be so great if we could like be in that that group of people, yeah. right? And I, I'm glad they seem like they have a good friendship. He's got a cool posse, which we can talk about. But I deeply had the impression, I was like, oh, my life would not be better if I was in this. Wouldn't be worse necessarily, but... Let's run the experiment just to find out. <laughs> Kevin, come on the show. Well, I think it, it really... the I didn't realize I had any bit of social climber in my head, but there's a tiny bit of it in there. And this kind of was just like, you've got all the wonderful people that you already need in your life. And if you need more, they're out there on the street. Like yeah. you don't have to go to the- Well, his crew isn't full of Hollywood. famous people, right? Exactly. So this is the other thing that is really interesting. The Plastic Cup Gang, have you- he's Yeah, got... I saw them on uh, Chelsea Handler. Yes. So he brings all, he he takes like six or seven dudes and uh, just takes them everywhere. So like two of his comedian friends, he's like, we're going to have, uh, before my tour, we're going to have an opening act. And I like you. So you're going to be the other opening act. We're going to do two opening acts. I like you, so you're going to host. <laughs> so it's never been done before. We're going to essentially have three opening acts before I go on so that you guys can travel with me. Nice. And then he's got his trainer buddy who is his trainer friend, and he's got uh, his other guy who runs this thing. And you get the impression that while perhaps you can't really tell, some of them may in fact be talented, uh, he, they, are, they are in the position they are in very much acknowledged by – him yeah, sure. They're not. They're not him. then going and emceeing the Dave Chappelle show. Correct. They're specifically emceeing Kevin Hart. Correct. Stuff. Yeah. And that's not to say that they're not talented. It's to no. say that they were not picked, and it did not look like they were going to be picked to be uh, major breakthrough successes mm -hmm. anywhere near the level that he's taken them to. So that's interesting. And then the other thing, I mean, dude, there's so much. Uh, he's talking to these friends, but there's also they get into the fight as he's in the air and he's drunk, and one of the things that comes up is money. And he's talking to his trainer, and he's like, how rich are you? Like, you don't got your house. You don't. Got... He's drunk, and he's being a jerk. But there's this undercurrent of, at least in that moment, of uh, money going on between yeah, yeah. them, which is such a hard relationship. I thought one of Kevin Hart's friends tried to blackmail him for money. This is the other thing that happened. So yeah. he's upset on the airplane because the whole cheating thing came out and at first he's like oh my god you know i was in vegas and this happened and then they're like they started looking at the footage like how did they get a camera in my hotel room mm -hmm. how did this happen and the allegations the the felony crime has been dropped but you very strongly get the impression that he's not done pursuing civil cases he's suing whoever did it someone extorted him for 10 million dollars yeah. after setting up cameras and uh him cheating on his wife in las vegas and he the doc gives the strong impression that he believes that it was another guy in this crew. I thought he knows specifically who it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the name. He called, okay. The name is JT Jackson. They blur him out of all the photos. He has been cleared of the criminal. initial criminal charges, yeah. but it's unclear if there will be further civil suit. Why it was cleared is not – like, is it because it didn't happen? Is it because they didn't not – When, when I saw Kevin talk about it, he does not seem to be unsure – yeah. He's like, I know exactly what happened, and I yeah. wish this guy had just come to me and said he needed money. Yeah. Because I would have – I could have helped him out, but instead he tried to blackmail me for more money than I would have given him. <laughs> and now I won't give him a dime. Yeah. I just let it go public that I cheat, yeah. and me and him are not friends. Yeah. And so for, from only hearing Kevin's perspective, it does appear like this was a poorly thought out, poorly executed plan by the buddy. Totally. I mean, I guess he thought – and I don't, I don't know, but – he thought he'd just get 10 mil, never get caught, and it would never come out. That's what he thought. He yes. thought he'd videotape it. He'd have the only copy. He'd send it to Kevin. Kevin would send him $10 million. So now he's rich. 
then he would delete it and kevin wouldn't know and he'd just still be he thought everything would be great yeah yeah and again and it's just you see this with the friends not that it's uh, he really does look like he has a happy good crew around him but the undercurrent of money between them is real and at the end even he gives them all their dream car he gives every Mm. guy a dream car and he's very generous with the money but it does complicate relationships clearly and he's like these guys are my these are my guys these are my guys but you could tell like three years ago there was an extra dude in that crew who was one of his guys who he knew for 15 years and for the prospect of 10 million dollars i don't i he was just willing to Probably not even. He probably thought he could stay friends with him. <laughs> he probably thought. Oh, he, I think I really think the guy thought friends. that he that Kevin wouldn't know it was him and that they just stay friends. Yeah, I thought he thought this is a victimless crime. Yes, he's got. I just got. Kevin's got a hundred mil. I just get to get ten. <laughs> I of got it. ten. Yeah, still gonna be boys. Still yeah. gonna have a great time. I still got your back, bro. Uh, so that there's there's all of these different threads in it, and the thing that I most appreciated was, again, not that he's a bad guy, but I don't want his life, mm. and I don't. We've talked, you know, what if we could get Tim Ferriss to sit down or Kevin Hart? And I just constantly am reminded that it's like what they have is not better than what is immediately available to me. And I think for the people watching this who maybe look up to you and I, like what I have is not immediately better than what is available to you in this community that you are in in the circle of people with rare exceptions if you're in a horrible, terrible community. No, and also, I mean, Tim, I, I don't know that I'd want to switch with Tim Ferriss because he's publicly talked about he has mental health issues, which I haven't had Depression to battle. And, yeah. But I would still love to talk to him because yes. I would I think there's a ton to learn from him. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think we could connect on a lot of stuff. He loves MMA, blah, blah, blah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to switch bodies with him, but I would still love to talk to him. And same with Kevin Hart. Me too. Me too. I would I would if Kevin Hart was game to come out here and do this, I'd be stoked. I'd have a ton of questions about storytelling and charisma. But I did realize, like, meeting Tim and meeting Kevin would not actually improve my life. It would be interesting. It would be a cool conversation. But things would not get better. And I was grateful for that. I was grateful for, like, the authenticity in this documentary. At least they were authentic about the things that we knew went wrong. And dude, there's the whole tweet storm thing, which was fascinating to see behind the scenes. And they didn't even show a ton of it. But – so you know this. So he tweets out – the big one was, if my son – uh, do you know? Do you remember it? If it's you were like in playing with the dollhouse, right? if you were playing with the dollhouse, I would smack him in the head with it because that's gay or something like that. And there sure. were a handful of other ones with the word "gay" or "no homo" in there uh, in 2010. And he immediately gets the call. He's like, "Guys, his first reaction is, if you can't recognize the people over the course of nine years change, uh, then I don't know what to tell you. Screw you guys." Yeah. And then a few hours later, he's like, the Academy called me. They want me to apologize. And in his mind, he's like, I've talked about this several times before. I have apologized. I do apologize. But if that's not enough, so be it. And he continues uh, with, you know, he does then, I think his team puts out a tweet that's like, I deeply regret harming the LGBTQ plus community, which is is a totally different tone than, than all the videos that he does. And everyone around him is like, Kevin, just, you got to say, you got to say you deeply regret. He's like, I said it. I'm not going to say it again. I said it before. These people, like, if they want to tune in, go watch the Ellen interview where I said that I deeply, I'm sorry about this. And he eventually gets to a point where he's like, I don't want to talk about this anymore because I'm feeding the trolls. Mm -hmm. And it was just so fascinating to watch how the difficulty in mass communication, which is like one time 10 years ago, he wrote this tweet. 
10 years later, he's being asked about it 15, 30, 50, 500 plus times. Yeah. Let's say he apologizes 20 times. On the 21st time, he's like, go watch the other 20 well, CoffeeZilla times. talked about this. Or, yeah, CoffeeZilla in his yeah. public shaming video. He yeah. says the problem with mass public shaming is when you do something wrong and it gets out to 100 million people mm -hmm. and then you apologize for it and 80 million people see it. 20 million people think you did it and aren't sorry, mm -hmm. right? And so Kevin's issue is even if he does 20 apologies, if the first hysteria around the tweet or, or whatever you want to call it, if the first upsetness around the tweet gets seen by everyone in the world and then 30 apologies later, he hasn't hit every single person in the world, that means there are pockets of the world that think he is uh, unapologetic homophobe. Yes. Right? And so the, that's the problem with public shaming is, is that the apology doesn't make the rounds in the same way that the controversy does. Totally. And he's I, visibly frustrated. I'm, I'm, I think, going beyond what he actually says, but he's like, come on. You people know me. There's been 10 years. You see any tweets from 2013, 2014? You see any jokes in any of my specials about that? Like, I think he appears very angry with the media because it's like, you guys know what you're doing. Yeah. In asking me this question and asking so indignant, you know the answer. And well, you are profiting off of trying to ruin my month or year or whatever. You already know the answer. Of course I don't do that yeah. anymore. I haven't done it in 10 years. Have you like, seen PewDiePie's recent videos? He's uh, he's pretty aggressively calling out the media for the same thing because mm -hmm. they're in his mind, in PewDiePie's mind, the media will aggressively pursue profits over truth. They're totally fine printing misinformation mm -hmm. if it makes them get clicks. And so he did a thing where he said he's going to take a break you know, on, from YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And articles come out saying he's quitting YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And then articles come out saying he's quitting YouTube. And in the article, they cite, in case you forget who PewDiePie is, He's the he's the anti-Semitic guy from 2017. <laughs> and so he goes, I am taking a three-month vacation, and I thought it would be nice to tell my fans ahead of time. And what that turned into is 30 major media stations re-digging up all my controversies <laughs> and publishing them while saying I'm permanently quitting YouTube. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no attempt to tie this to what I said. Mm -hmm. And then he finds an incredible article where somebody puts in the headline something in quotes but instead of using quotes they use the one that's just one like two apostrophes yeah and it's not a quote it's just not something he said because i never said this <laughs> and i think the only reason this is legal is because it's not in quotes it's in apostrophes <laughs> and so it just says you know youtube star says quote quitting youtube due to burnout i don't care how much money i make or something like that and he's just like this this is <laughs> a complete fabrication to be fair I bet you he said each of those words at separate times. Yeah. And they merely put them in an order. <laughs> you know, I actually don't know what the legal for putting into apostrophes if there even is a legal case. But he said it's very clearly these are not quotation marks on purpose. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just interesting because I've been watching him recently trying to think about what different types of content we could do on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And he's he hates the media because yeah. he says, yeah, same same thing. They're just trying to get clicks and they don't seem to care how accurate it is yeah well and i i watching it i think there's a really interesting moral question there which is what do you do because clearly everyone around him who works for him and so there's so many complicating factors uh one how do you actually feel about this are you sorry do you feel this is taking like you know what i mean like that's that's a well, that's, that's what an I don't entire understand question is, even if you're even if you're burned out from talking about it making a statement that's honest mm -hmm. seems like it wouldn't be that just coming out and being like Hey, so I'm surprised this is coming up. I've apologized for this dozens of times already. 
the way I feel about this is it was 10 years ago. I've changed as a person. I support the LGBT community and I can't change the past and then just and then just let it lie. But say something that's honest about how you feel. Well, I think he did. And here's the, here's the issue. All these people asking questions, not all of them, but like take, for instance, he seems like a nice guy. Michael Strahan on Good Morning America. He was on the Giants. He was in a locker room. Are we going to pretend that any time from like, I don't know when he last played, 15 years ago, he didn't say anything? He didn't say a single sentence that would be upsetting oh, if yeah, of it course were played back in 2019? No, of course he did. And there he is sitting there and be like, do you regret it? And, and there's this whole uh, group of people acting like this errant sentence is deeply indicative of, and I think that's what he's most frustrated by. Yeah, like, yeah. This is something, dude, the U in that tweet is the letter U. Like when I spell tries, T-R, like it should be T-R-I-E-S, it's T-R-Y apostrophe S. Like my grammar <laughs> is horrid. It's it's not even written in a complete English sentence. That's the level of care and craftsmanship yeah. that went into this very obviously. Uh, but but people are treating it as like, oh no, this is this is who you are. And I think that's what he's reacting to is a sense of, uh, disbelief in the accusation, which is like, are you going to pretend that everyone out there hasn't said or done anything stupid within the last, oh, let's check, decade? Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how to respond to this. And that is how he feels. And so then what you're saying is, okay, go above and beyond. Be like, I'm going to apologize for sentences that I've said in the last, uh, let's say, 20 years span. Yeah. <laughs> if it's within the last 20 years and I said it and you can dig it up. Well, Logan, I, Logan Paul talks about this. And he doesn't say this part, but it's not fair, but it is the way of the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where you can try to change the way of the world. But yes. also, this is the current way of the world. It's and totally. it's, it's why you have $100 million, mm-hmm. Kevin. Like, there's a spotlight on you. That spotlight comes with more money than sultans yeah. have. And extra scrutiny on your tweets it's a great point conversely you could tweet dude someone's tweeting way worse stuff than you right now and the, me- the media is not blowing up about it yep they work for forty thousand dollars a year so i get that it's unfair but so is all the upside and so logan he's Gary talking Vaynerchuk about makes that same point logan talking about how he accidentally said something about he's gonna go gay for a month and the lgbt community got upset because he was saying that gay is a choice and Logan came out with a couple things. He said, one, there's photos of me kissing dudes. I've done this in acting class. I've done this for pranks. I'm clearly not homophobic. And two, here's a clip of Joe Rogan saying the same thing and not getting lambasted. I feel like I'm a target and it's not fair. And that's true. But also, you're 23 years old and you're a multi-multi-millionaire with millions of adoring fans. And that's also not that's fair. That's not fair. <laughs> so it sucks. Yeah. But the upside you reap is the opposite of sucks in the exact same way. And maybe actually for Logan, the the downside sometimes does outweigh the millions. But for Kevin, it's like, yeah, this is why you have a nine-figure bank account. And you could just do the Dave Chappelle thing if you want people to stop picking on your tweets and just go away for a decade. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great point, is that the entire artifice of celebrity is not fair. But you weren't complaining when it was not fair in your favor. When people hailed you as a god and the funniest person ever to walk the planet, that wasn't fair. When when you got paid an exorbitant sum of money uh, for telling jokes, just like your buddies, by the way, who are who are in front of you for yours being marginally better or sure. even much better, or even like, say you're the greatest you're the greatest comedian in the world, the greatest veterinarian in the world probably makes like two hundred grand. Yeah, 
and they are doing surgeries on horses or something, yeah. let's say, right? Your your skill that you're good at happens to net you $100 million and you get a lot of shit for your tweets. Like yes. that's that's the upside and downside of your specific skill. So so I think that's a great point. But the, the whole more, okay, so what does one do? So he's in this position. He's going, I've said I'm sorry. I've done this. Uh, I want to just tell the truth. Well, you truth. go above and beyond, I think. You accept that that's not what most people have to do, but it comes with your celebrity. Got it. So do you think that that is telling the truth at that point? Do you think that that's dishonest? Because the impression that I get in watching him is he's like, it would be false and fake and giving into trolls. Well, I think you could say, I don't think he should get up there and lie. If he doesn't feel honest to come up and say, I'm extremely sorry, blah, blah, you know, then don't lie. Yeah. But if he, I think he should say what his truth is. And if his truth is, listen, I am sorry I sent that tweet. Also, at the time, I was more insensitive to the LGBT community than I am today, 10 years ago. And I've had to learn. Then say that say, and say, look, I would not send that tweet today. I haven't sent anything like that in the last five years. Mm -hmm. I'm pro gay marriage. I'm pro blah, blah, blah. Say whatever your truth is that you can be honest with that also will make at the end of the day, these are people that just feel threatened, right? So if you can... So how many times... This is the question. How many times? So let's say... One for, for every million dollars. <laughs> so a hundred for A hundred? So, no, so, I don't know. No, serious question. So let's just pretend for... Because I, I don't know the answer to this, and I was thinking through it. Let's say that this came up in 2012, and he talked about it. And it came up in 2015, and he talked about it. It came up in 2017, and he talked about it. And then 2018 or whatever, 2019, it comes up Having again. to apologize every three years... I'm just asking. Uh, I, do you think that the answer is uh, continue? And it's not once. It's, you know, go on a little apology tour because it's, it's research. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think figure out I, what I would probably do is I go, okay, I've done this a bunch. What's the way I can reach the most amount of people as possible with one apology mm -hmm. and then share my genuine truth in a way that's going to make people realize that I'm not, I don't hate this community. And then I would go host the Oscars. That's what I would try to do Got it. with a level head. So interestingly, and I don't think one is right or wrong, your perspective goes to the, okay, you're thinking of communication as if it is primarily what is heard and not what has been said, right? So you're going, oh, they haven't heard me say it. Therefore, I ought to say it again louder. And I need to think about the medium and platform that I tried to do that on. And his perspective is, I've said it. Like I've communicated. Well, the thing this. is, I if might it feel, hasn't been heard. I might feel his way too, because he's got emotions in it, right? This is easy <laughs> for me to say as a fake PR manager, yeah, right. But that's, I think, my what I would suggest to him is what I said. You know, I hope that I would be level-headed enough to do it, but I'm not gonna guarantee I would be. I don't know how upset he is about. Well, the whole so thing. even I'm just I'm genuinely curious. Forget level-headed. Do you think one is? more authentic, honest, appropriate, or even truer to the spirit of what communication is? Because this is what I was running up against. Because he said it, was it communicated well? Or because it wasn't heard, was it not communicated well? Like, wh which... Yeah, it's a tough question. Cause I, well, so philosophically, you can only be responsible for what you say. Mm -hmm. How people interpret you is out of your hands. But from a charisma perspective, I do often try to think about what the person will hear. Yeah. So I communicate differently to different people sometimes in an order to have them understand me. You know what I mean? I use I can use different languages sure. or different vocabulary depending Choosing on the to person. Sit in front of a camera is not. For, we're thinking about the people who are not present. Like the entire conversation. Yeah. So is for I so others. I think there's there is an aspect of communication that is about what the other person hears. Totally. Totally. You're not speaking, say you speak two languages. You don't go exactly. speak Spanish exactly. because I said it in Spanish, right? You say it in 
the language that you know is understood. So there's clearly a tension between those two things. And I don't know where his line is, but what I was watching was him go, okay, I feel like you're not being charitable enough in your in your attempt to understand me, media. And this is the last piece on this that I'll say is I went back to some of the interviews that were very damning of him. Like, oh man, the Good Morning America, that one was poorly advised. And not that the YouTube comments section is anything, uh, any indication, but I, I do think you've got anchors of uh, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, whatever, and then you've got commenters on YouTube. And those mm -hmm. are two very different pools of people. So mm -hmm. the upvotes on his Good Morning America thing where he's like, I'm done. I'm not saying it. And Michael's like, but don't you feel? He's like, I feel like I'm done. I feel like I'm not saying it. I feel like we're not doing this anymore. The It's it's in the green, which means it's above 90%, like 92% upvote to downvote. And all the comments as I could see were like, good on you, Kevin. Like, stop this. So not saying that uh, that's representative of America by any means, but it is very interesting that 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 slice of people and the slice of people writing the headlines couldn't be more different. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and it depends on what his goal is too. Like, if your goal is to host the Oscars, you have one thing. If your goal is to just never be asked about this again, you have another, right? Mm -hmm. He could just walk out of the room anytime it's mentioned. Mm -hmm. If his goal is never speak about this again, people yeah. will stop asking about it and they'll write hateful things about him. So you really only get one top goal. You know, you have to rank your priorities. Yeah. It really just depends what his priority is. Yeah. So I, so then this is the, you said the Oscars. It was so fascinating. I, can't, I was thinking about this the whole time. I was like, this is podcast gold. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's talking about, he finds out he's not going to host the Oscars and he's really sad. And he's like signing these autographs for these, his, his irresponsible tour. He's like, I was going to be the third black host of the oscars ever i was going to be in this rarefied air and his buddy's on he's like actually you were going to be the fifth there was somebody else co-hosted richard Pryor co-hosted Whoopi, chris rock and then you he's like that makes it even worse like you know i was going to be in held with those people and my thought was like kevin you didn't even know five seconds ago that richard Pryor hosted the oscars oscars you don't remember a single joke that he told while he hosted the oscars why do you want to host the Oscars so mm -hmm. bad? Like, it's it's so interesting that a guy that sells out stadiums, mm -hmm. that is clearly the most popular comedian on the planet, still desires in such a deep way uh, the validation and accolade of whatever that Oscar is, despite the fact that he couldn't tell you two out of the four people that were black that hosted it before him yeah. and doesn't remember a single joke that any of them told. It's like... I, I, I'm not trying to rag on him, but like, wow, ego will make you miserable. Mm -hmm. uh, you, that you can get to that level and still be hungry for validation is, uh, it, it was just for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the same place. I've achieved many of my goals and dreams, but I still want more. Mm -hmm. And if I get to that place that Kevin's at and I don't fix this before then, I'm going to be in his place doing the same thing that I am currently doing, which yeah, yeah. is trying for more, 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 more. That's an interesting lesson. So how do, so what do you do with that? Because I think a lot of people listening will probably say, well, currently I want more money or I want more fame or yeah. something of that nature. And Kevin Hart is the most famous comedian on the planet and he wants the recognition and the legacy points of hosting the Oscars. And what would happen if he got it, right? Nothing. <laughs> so what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is, so I'm listening to this, right? And I'm yeah. in the same boat. I make 50 grand and I really badly am hustling and working so that I can make 80 grand, get mm -hmm. promotion, get whatever it is, because I think it'll change my life, yeah. right? What do I do to make sure that after I get that promotion and I am making the 80 grand, I don't just hunger for 90? 
so, how do I avoid that? So what I've seen people do is they said there's two really bad things. And again, I'm really not trying to rag on Kevin Hart. I'm so grateful for this because it exposed uh, a lot of the things that are occurring inside of me just at a, at a stratospheric level yeah. of success. And so the first thing is big round number goals. So he talks multiple times about being, that's not how you get to be a billionaire mogul. You don't get to be a billionaire mogul by fucking up like this. You don't get to be a billionaire mogul by, by doing this. And it's like, why a billion? Why not 990 million, Kevin? <laughs> like that is a number completely divorced from practicality, completely divorced from, uh, I mean, from anything that would make you happier. That's just pure ego. Mm -hmm. That's just that's just pure self-labeling. I am a millionaire, billionaire. I make six figures, whatever it is at your level. Um, so that's the first thing. If you have goals that are big, round numbers, not associated with any sort of specific change that you want to see in the world, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, Tim Ferriss has a great this is exactly has a heading. great yeah. goal for this. That he does something called dreamscaping, where he says if you do think you need more money a really great thing you can do is write down what you want to do with that money because you'll find that you often need a lot less than you think. And there's also probably clever ways to go about it, right? So, oh, I really, really, really want to have a Porsche. Okay, well, that's not $10 million. It's a couple hundred thousand. But two, you can lease it. You can rent it for a day. There's all these things you can do. It makes you realize that you, I mean, what did we come up with? Three grand a month, right? When we wrote down that our was dream when life. I had a, that was when I had $1,000 of student loans too. It was, it was, I think it was $2,500 a month and I was spending a thousand or yeah. 900. Now granted, loans. no, no wife, no kids. Yes. So take that for what it is. Yeah. But that was when we costed out, what will it cost to live literally on the beach in the country of my choice, Brazil, and wake up every day whenever I want, get whatever food I want, eat Not the, whatever food you want, eat, eat well enough. No, you were making three grand a month when you were eating uh, rotisserie chickens. Three grand a month gets you hojizio. Okay, so okay, so it, it wasn't what I, like we eat better today than we did back then, sure, for sure. But but yes. the point was eat well to you, eat well to be comfortable. When you're start when we're starting our business, at first you go, oh my god, how am I ever going to make this be a million dollar business? How am I ever going to make myself a millionaire? And then when we did the numbers, we went, oh, I actually just need this thing to make seven grand a month. Yeah, split it in half, we're fine. And taxes, which which <laughs> I found out later, I was like, oh, shoot, <laughs> I had to defer my tax payment. <laughs> Yeah, we did a launch <laughs> and then we we're like oh shoot but uh no so that's that's the so instead of these big crazy numbers associate what changes specifically do you want to move here live here not do this and uh you can go crazy with those but like then watch how they impact you very carefully so let's say you get that porsche measure if you can even on a piece of paper or just in your head how long that porsche improves the quality of your experience yeah and what you will find is that it doesn't for very long. With rare exception, there's a couple of gearheads out there that, you know, they, that Porsche will just light them up for years and years to come. But the majority of people that drive nice cars uh, have stopped getting the expected benefit. Sure. From or cer car. Certainly true of something like a Rolex, let's say, mm -hmm. which I think is very often with that kind of material possession, it feels very good the day you buy it. Mm -hmm. For a couple of days, you're really stoked to put it on. And then quickly, it just becomes your new normal. There's mm -hmm. this thing called hedonic adaptation. And you just adjust to it. It doesn't make you any happier. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that's what I've tried to do. And that's why when I see us, what, what will often happen is you'll be like, man, and I know that we did this. If I could just make X, where X is more than you have today, I would be happy. And I'm totally cool with that once. I'm totally cool with that maybe even twice. 
But if you start setting these goals and passing them, you know, you've got 50,000 today. If you could make 65, that would do it. Well, then you make 65, but now you need 80. Well, at some point, you have to go, this program of more, more, more is not working. <laughs> it isn't working at all. And uh, I need a different program. And that's why I'm very thankful for these Kevin Hart documentaries, which shows you this is the pinnacle of more. Mm-hmm. And what do you, when you finally have it all, what do you want? More. More. <laughs> and it's like, and he had a rough year. He had a, like, a, a, not a great time, it didn't look like. Yeah. Uh, psychically, you mean. Psychically. And he was on tour and he was trying to leave a legacy. So he did 150 shows in like a year, which is almost every other night in a different city. Uh, and he's like, well, do you think you'll ever stop? I don't think so. And maybe if that makes him happy in the moment, fantastic. But I also heard uh, that he was in a car accident after this was filmed and was forced to stay inside his own house for three months, which he'd never done in the last 20 years. Mm. And allegedly he says that it's like one of the greatest things that has happened to him, mm. finally slowing down. Like, Not that he was a bad father, but being able to be there consistently with his kids mm-hmm. uh, was, worth, like, was worth the car accident yeah, and yeah. the horrific spine injury and the surgery. Interesting. Um, well, there's a great tool you turned me on to. It's a cognitive behavior therapy tool. It's yeah. called the prediction spreadsheet, or at least that's what we call it. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of hinted at it, but that's been for me incredibly valuable because there's these things you think will make you happy. And all you do is you just write down what the thing is and then how happy you think it will make you. And then during the experience, how happy it's actually making you. Yeah. And for me, it really showed me certain friends that I enjoy talking to and certain people that I was talking to out of obligation. But on the call, I actually didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, it actually was one of the things that led to me breaking up with my girlfriend at the time mm-hmm. was I realized that if I remove, if I strip away all the romanticism and all the what this relationship means and I just chart how happy it's making me day to day, it was much lower than I predicted consistently. Yeah. So that's a really useful skill and people can use it for work. They can use it for new luxury goods. They can use it for relationships. But yeah, mm-hmm. that that tool was really helpful for me. And I think that's, it's, uh, we can wrap this idea here but it's it's awareness it's checking in the question i just watched russell brand's video how's that working out for you it like the the 12-step program as he describes it because he's all about recovery is not about saying uh alcohol's bad or this is bad or this is gonna, it's like how's it working out for you mm. <laughs> you know and if, and if you continue to ask that question you're like well pretty terribly like i'm miserable i just got a divorce and uh yeah. my life is pain except for when i'm numb <laughs> it's like okay Sounds like you need a different plan. Yeah. Uh, so the question, like, hey, how's that? How's that relationship working out for you? But but real. But you have time, to. Catch, well, you got to get real time. That's yes. the thing because it's very easy to romanticize things. It's very easy. I even see this with people with with things, and I can't I can't tell their experience, right? But you ask them how much they love their extremely expensive car, and mm-hmm. they'll go, "Oh my god, I love it." Because there's this sense that you have to be consistent with the amount amount of money you spend. Yeah. But then when driving it. It does not appear to generate any joy. There's no yeah. smile when they open the door or while, while driving. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I like the prediction spreadsheet. You know, I've never done this Russell Brand thing, but even more than something like that, where you reflect in hindsight, how is it going? Mm-hmm. You can self-deceive more easily. Totally. Versus when you're in the when you're on the phone call and you go, "Am I enjoying this? Not at all." <laughs> okay, what did I think? I thought this was going to be an eight, and it's a three. You do that six times in a row. You go, I got to stop doing these phone calls, at least with this person. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. So yeah, I'm, let me see if I'd written down anything else. It was well, you a- know what's weird? I, so this is a little bit different for Kevin, but you reminded me of it because Kevin's married. The The sex tape, the sex tape scandal, I feel like is kind of over. I feel like society 
has gotten comfortable with the idea that people have sex. And even Kevin with his cheating got way less backlash than with his homophobic tweet. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because if you think about Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, even Justin Bieber with his dick pic, these mat like the whole world saw them naked and no one cared. And then it's got to the point where people will have these blackmails and they'll just go, fuck it, I'll release it myself. There yeah. was a woman who people think it might have been a publicity stunt. She said she was getting blackmailed. And then she just said, I'll release it myself. And it coincided with the week of her book launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was everywhere in the news. I'm not saying it was, but that seems different than what it used to be. It used to feel like these things were scandals, that it reflected badly on your character if you were caught on video having sex. Totally. And now today, it seems like it's neutral to positive. I was blown away by how little the public, at least the media, cared about Kevin Hart's affair. No, not at all. Especially in sharp comparison to the tweet. Because what you could, the, I mean, here's this is this is one way to look at it is Kevin Hart sent out that tweet in 2009. Maybe it upset someone on that day, but Kevin Hart also wasn't very famous. Maybe it upset no one on that day. Maybe if people hadn't dug it up, nobody would have ever been hurt by it. Uh, okay, so nobody was hurt by this potentially, or somebody was hurt because they read it and they were saddened it's by it. It's like if you say a racial slur in the woods and no one used it, was anyone harmed? <laughs> so, but, okay, the, by the by the principle of harm, okay, he then cheats on his wife, devastates her. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, devastates his family, disappoints his friends. <laughs> like, there is certainly uh, hurt here. Mm -hmm. Now, if we are caring about the harm caused by the behaviors, there's a strong argument to be made. This is the one that we want to stop, mm -hmm. right? Uh but the other one got echoed and said, oh, remember he did this? As opposed to, like, you could have just blasted him on air and be like, hey, to everyone who's ever been cheated on, remember Kevin Hart? Does that make you sad? Does he remind you of your husband who cheated on you? Because he's a cheater? Yeah. Like, like, are you all upset and enraged now that he did that? It, it's he definitely wasn't going to lose the Oscars over cheating on his wife. No. Not even close. Yeah. Not even close. So it's, it's uh, curious. I don't know what it means, <laughs> but... I had a similar, we've mentioned this before, thought with the Logan Paul suicide farce, which is like, nobody's interested in why this person committed suicide. Maybe they had a bully. Maybe they had a boss that was grinding them down like that French company that we talked about. We could make a systemic change that could, uh, no, let's just kill Logan Paul. <laughs> like, uh, So anyway, very interesting. Check it out. I have some other stuff written. Do you want me to hit mine or do you have more? I have one that I thought was interesting. Go ahead. Gonna, I don't think you'll have heard of her. Do you, have you heard of Kaylin Ward? Yeah, man, I wrote her down. <laughs> oh, nice. Dude, she has raised several hundred thousand dollars by promising to send nudes to anyone who donated to help with the wildfires in Australia. And that is awesome. I'm shocked. I I'm love shocked it. that people will pay for nude photos. Because you can just Google image and get <laughs> yeah, yeah. several million nude photos. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, her Instagram got shut down. If not, it would have been the most brilliant marketing move ever, yeah. right? Because now she's going to Oh, be... still will be. This will help her. She has not the biggest bucket with which to collect all the attention that she's going to get. You know what I mean? If she had, but if she was collecting these followers, like she'd be, she'd be very set for. Uh, yeah, she lost her Instagram account. Tea. She lost her Instagram account. Her family's upset. Apparently, some guy broke up with her over it. But at the same time, this wasn't her job prior to this was sending nudes for money. Was this it? Wasn't, yeah, yeah. Was this, it really? According to what I read, this isn't like the first time that she's sent nudes for money she's just said what she said was mass yeah i'm gonna donate this money yeah, yeah. or sorry if you donate instead of giving it to me i'll send you a nude and yeah a couple hundred thousand dollars a couple hundred thousand dollars rolls in the wildfires are crazy man they are they are 
big old fires. I don't know what to make of it. She's got it, dude. Yeah, she's got it. <laughs> Ms. Mrs. Ward, Ms. Ward has got it under control. And she's going to inspire a copycat. <laughs> a whole slew of them. No, I saw that. I'd written it down. I didn't really even have a take on it other than it was hilarious. Yeah. Did you see Ricky? Speaking of hosting the Oscars, did yep. you see Ricky Gervais? Yeah. That was awesome. Yes. So for people who haven't seen, Ricky Gervais has hosted, what is it, the Golden Globes? A couple times. It's his fifth time. Every time he is completely irreverent. Just I don't know if that's the award ceremony, by the way, but I think it is. He just hates on the film industry, the entertainment industry. He's he's so mean to everybody that's in the audience, but viewers love it. And this was his last time, and he lit into people. He was shaming them for looking the other way with Harvey Weinstein. He was referencing that they're willing to work for pedophiles and child labor uh, people for money. He just blew them up and then commenced to sit in front of them three hours and give them awards. Sure. What, I mean, I had, I had, I was like, wow, that was, it was funny. But I also thought, this is all part of it. Like, they knew what he was going to do. Like you said, he's done it years in the past. Uh, oh my God, he blew up. It's like, no, you're watching the Golden Globes, which are a dying award show that nobody cares about. Yeah. He just put more eyes on it. Like, this is all part of the trick. No, it's brilliant <laughs> by, well, it's brilliant by the, Gold, the, by academy. the academy. Yeah. Yeah. This is not, he did not get up there and trick them. He did not do – like, he brought more eyeballs to it, which is all that they cared about. Well, it reminded wanted. me of a roast in the sense that the people in the audience, I don't think, necessarily loved it. Sure. But the people hosting it did love it. Yes. Because yes. I would never have heard of this award ceremony if not for the fact that Ricky Gervais has gone viral. Sure. But at the same time, when you're sitting there and he's telling you that you're a total piece of shit because you allowed rape and pedophilia to exist in the name of money and that you have no right – to get up here and talk politics so just take your word and shut up mm. i think in, when you're in the audience you're just like oh wow yeah totally that's that's a slap in the old face that just tells you i mean those people obviously have a tremendous amount of power but like not enough power to to pick someone that they don't want to hurt their feelings because mm-hmm. like clearly what the people who have the most power are the ones who selected him <laughs> to be there to bring the the eyeballs to say that in the first place that Hollywood needs to is, – is worthy of a response, that we need to – like you don't – when there's a guy on the street corner talking politics on a soapbox, there's a guy, the Jesus guy, who's often out there on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one – it's not necessary for anyone to go, stop doing that because we just ignore him. Yeah. But the fact that Ricky Gervais gets up there and tells him to stop doing that in a weird way – validates the fact that they have the ability and that people listen yeah. in the first place. Yeah, well people do. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's and it all it's a cyclical thing and it all feeds itself, which is should we listen to them? Shouldn't we listen? We're talking about them all the same. Like I know his opinion. I know where Meryl Streep stands on Donald Trump. Like I like I'm aware of this. How am I aware of this? I don't need to know what some random person <laughs> thinks about the president, but I do and it all, you know, as much as the praise of her feeds that cycle so does the uh trashing mm-hmm. of her which i think is i was like why is this everywhere i was like oh by design yeah yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> like, not an accident like, it's not an accident um the first question is from excalibur um he says i've been having a step-parent related problem i'm 17 and i'm currently living with my mom and stepdad i want to have a better relationship with my stepdad but so far it's been unsuccessful we've lived in the same house for two years now but we act at worst like strangers and at best like acquaintances I've tried talking with him about things he likes, and sometimes it's successful, but most of the time, he just responds with one-word answers and rarely initiates conversation himself. I hate this dynamic. I moved in with him and my mom, and it was great at the start, but I then got into into some dark times with depression and anxiety, getting the better of me. He'd give me a ride to school, which was awkwardly silent. I didn't know what to say. 
even now that I've improved drastically charisma-wise, I don't know how to tackle this. I want to get closer with him, and I know that we'll probably never be close like with me and my mom, but I'd at least want to be friends with him. He's pretty stoic and silent. What more can I do to be friends with him or at least decrease the awkwardness? I don't need his friendship since I'm going to move out in two years, but I do want it. Go ahead. All right, so I'll kick it off here. So yeah, my first question would be, is this... Is your stepdad stoic and quiet with you and then gregarious with your mom and his friends? Or is he always stoic and always giving one-word answers? Because it might not be a reflection of you or your relationship at all. Some people are just quiet, not talkative, difficult to talk to, right? Mm -hmm. So my first question would be, are you internalizing something and blaming yourself for something that is in fact not a reflection of you it has nothing to do with your depression has nothing to do with any of that that just happened to have occurred could be his best friend in the car and it would be the same quiet conversation but they just wouldn't feel uncomfortable about it they would just silently drive till they got to the fishing pond or whatever it yes. is so that's my first question which I, I don't know the answer and then assuming that it it is specific to you best thing probably just go talk to him mm -hmm. you know i think that just telling him hey i don't know what's going on here i don't know if it's because i was depressed but i wanted to talk to you because i want to have this friendship with you i would assume your stepfather wants to have a good relationship with you as well so you guys are on the same team most likely in that regard yeah and we've we've mentioned these things but for the sake of uh completion here i'll repeat them find a different space uh, this this is a lot of the same advice we do so you know it could be these car rides could be somewhere else but uh not necessarily the same thing where you have a really routinized version of interacting you could say hey could i talk to you in the living room where you don't often go or whatever say uh i know this is kind of random like you open them up a little bit and this might sound strange but pace is reality yeah yeah i feel again i statements i feel not not you're not saying you don't talk to me you don't like me you say i feel like we uh, often have a lot of silence between us. Uh, to me, it feels like conversation is difficult and I often don't know what to say. And the impression that I get is that uh, you may not have interest or just otherwise don't want to talk to me. And I, and I was, one, wanting to check if that's true. And two, if it is, I'd like it to change because I'd like to have a good relationship with you. Uh, so that's under the, the circumstances that Ben is talking to. And the scariest thing here is just going to be initiating this conversation, right? Once you start it off, the way that you're describing it, it doesn't sound, at least from the, what you've written, that he has a particular grudge or anything against you. So Ben's point, same team, should go fairly well. Second thing is, okay, what if you're just dealing with a quiet person? And what you're asking is, how can I make friends with an older person who is, who is quiet and stoic? Uh, and that... You know, you, you could still have that first conversation to find out this is the answer. What would you focus on? I mean, I would try to find the areas where that person, hobby-wise or otherwise, opens up. Oh, yeah. This is my dad. Yeah. My dad is generally a fairly quiet person. Yeah. But if you find topics that Eagles. excite them, <laughs> yeah, the Philadelphia Eagles or hockey, yeah. then he, he is thrilled to talk at length. Yeah. You know, and he'll become animated. And uh, it's not at all a reflection of who he's talking to, but the topic. And so, yeah, if it turns out that your stepfather is just someone who is generally quiet, then rather than trying to get him to talk about things in your life that might not interest him, you could start by talking about the things that you do know interest him. Mm -hmm. At least so you form that pattern. Actually, my dad and I talk about a lot of things now. But yeah, you, you just start by going with the stuff that you know is going to light him up. What a this is a random question, but what do you do? Because this is these stoic guys. The answer is often sports. 
mm-hmm. right? It's often basketball, the local, whatever, and they know all the stats and all the everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if you don't, mm-hmm. right? So you're you want to connect with someone, and I don't know if this has ever been you, but like you didn't watch the game and haven't watched the game. Yeah, yeah. What do you do? So it depends. I mean, it depends on how badly you want it, right? But like, I still don't watch the Philadelphia Eagles, but yeah. I'm happy to ask. I'm happy to listen to how they're doing. So maybe mm-hmm. I don't hate sports. Yeah, is the yeah. thing. If somebody detests this conversation, it's going to be tough to connect with anyone if what they love, <laughs> you detest hearing about, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That's just straight up whether it's art or sports. And so in this instance, I don't mind. I actually like hearing about it, even though I don't watch it. So I'll ask him, how's it going? This and that. I often ask him about his job, which I think actually, funny enough, not a lot of people do because mm-hmm. he's the boss at his company and the father figure. So he's the caretaker for the family. So feel like it's not often that someone will say hey how are you doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and and so i'll just ask him about his work and even though i don't care about the steel industry i do in the sense that it's my dad's industry so i'm happy to listen about things i'm not educated about and that i wouldn't research on my own just because it allows me to hear what's going on in my dad's life that's important to him yeah you know what i mean yeah i think if the person is quiet and you're unwilling to do that and you don't have any interest that overlap you are in trouble yeah you know so i've i liked playing sports but i never watched them mm-hmm. and so like in the office in hockey for instance is even one that i don't dude, i couldn't tell you when somebody's icing you know what i mean i was yeah, like yeah, that's yeah, why, yeah. why is he icing like i don't get it and so that was the caps i lived in washington when i worked there and the caps would often come up uh, and i'm trying to think how i would do what i i know that one thing that you should not do is pretend like, cause you will just get like, you're like, oh, that guy, he's so bad. And yeah. like, what do you mean he's bad? <laughs> well, I never, I never talk about hockey with my dad because I don't get hockey. So yeah. That's the thing. He, I'm sure he would love to talk about the Flyers and Phillies as well. Yeah. I don't like hockey or baseball, so I don't. Mm-hmm. I direct the conversation towards the 76ers, the Eagles, or also just in general, like I like working out and lifting and he, the, the things my dad would talk about, there's a range to them. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know what I mean? And the things that he's done real estate investments. I don't know anything about real estate, so we rarely talk about it. Mm-hmm. But he has a job and I've had a job and he manages people and I'm starting to manage people. So that's an area where I'm, I have an interest in hearing about. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never talked about golf at work when I was in investment banking and it was the number one sport. And it definitely cost me in the realm of high level management relationships. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't willing to watch it and research it and learn that Rory McDonald shot yeah, a certain yeah, yeah, amount yeah. under par in order to fake in order to fake that interest and, and form a relationship. So I just didn't do that. But what I could do is find the other things people were interested in, which for some people was basketball or even fishing, which I was sure. more interested in talking about. So the, the and this this never had the same effect as being a diehard hockey fan, but you can get in on the periphery of these conversations if they're happening around you because like the Caps are in the playoffs and all this stuff. I don't know anybody on the team, but somebody goes to the game and I can ask, "How is the crowd?" You know what I mean? And they can for a moment be excited to talk about how rowdy and uh, crazy the crowd got, which is sure. like okay, I get, I know what a mob of people is like. <laughs> I might not know any of the rules of hockey, but uh, didn't didn't get me totally into the uh, the sports crew, but allowed me to to like interact at least on the periphery of those. And so the same same uh, principle is at play. Well, at the end of the day, people like to talk about things that make them feel good. Or in some instances, they like to talk about the things that they hate because it riles them up, right? But let's say I don't know anything about hunting and I have a stepfather who loves hunting 
and he went hunting. I can still ask him, how did it go? And he goes, oh, it was great. I shot a deer. Mm-hmm. You could go, oh, how'd that feel? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, is that exciting? Is that good? How big was the deer? You can still ask questions, even knowing nothing about hunting, you know, especially if your goal specifically is to connect with the person. Mm-hmm. So I think I like to think that there's not a single person on the planet. I couldn't find something that I would be interested in hearing them talk about. Totally. I'm just thinking of those group conversations where the group wants to talk about this minutiae. Oh, you're and the going specifics. away from the stepdad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that's a situation that I've been in with sports <laughs> in yeah. my own past. And it's like these three dudes are going deep on like the best safety yeah. of all time. I and probably like, stopped out. I just, I just go, I just go, you know what? At some point these guys are going to be talking about nightlife or something besides <laughs> the best safety. And I'm going to hop in then. Yeah, yeah, I got to do work at some point. This is a great opportunity to do it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. rather than stand there looking like an idiot or stand there trying to pretend, I just go, all right, I'm just back at, I think that's now's my time to do the work. That's probably the solution that I settled on as yeah. well, which is like, I, I'm not going to try to move you guys off this. I'm not. Yeah, I just... I'll pop back in. I'll <laughs> pop back into the water cooler in two hours. At some point, we'll be talking about something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Cool. All right. What else? So the last one's from Oliver. And he says, I used to be really reserved and only had a couple of really good friends. But in recent years, I've become more charismatic and even became a mentor who helps the foreign students in my hometown and made a lot of new friends. I tend to prioritize spending time with these new people than my old friends. I'm not sure if it's because I love meeting new people as I can reinvent myself for my shyness and build my character or because I got bored of my old friends who remind me of my old self. Would you leave your old friends behind just for the sake of new encounters or would you stick with the old pals? People say that you should never lose your friends who accept you, but what if I want to change myself? You want to go or you want me to start? You can start. So I think the question isn't... There's there's some value in just the length of a relationship, but I think the question isn't uh, old friends versus new encounters. I think it's who are you or who have you become and who do you enjoy spending time with? So I do think that the pursuit of new encounters just for newness is can be very exciting. At some point, it will run its course. I think you should... Don't cut it short artificially. Run, let it run its course. Meet a million new people until you get tired of doing that. But I think this idea of old friends just for the sake of being old, I wouldn't necessarily say should pri- be prioritized over everything else. Charlie is a very old friend of mine. I've known him since I was 15. I have another friend that I've known since I was six years old. These are some of my best friends in the world. I had many friends or had many friends that I had known for that long who I'm no longer friends with because as I grew and changed, we grew apart. No knock, just different interests. We didn't enjoy each other's company. I am glad that I did not prioritize those friendships over people I've met in the last five years Mm -hmm. who I connect with much better because I think that I don't don't have a lot in common with those people anymore. And so, yes, some of my best friends I've known since I was six or 15, some of my best friends I've met in the last five years, I view it more in terms of who do I connect with well, who's doing things that are interesting to me as well, has the same hobbies as me and things of that nature. So that that's yeah. how I think about it. Yeah, new versus old is not the metric on which you want to make be making this decision. Yeah. And in fact, what you might find is, uh, quite frankly, is you're probably going to take some of the old and some of the new. Yeah. Is is because what you want to be deciding on are the metrics that Ben said: quality of the connection, uh, shared interest, ethical, whatever c- compatibility. Sure. And as we talked about last podcast, your friends shape who you are. So who are the people that you want to be around that you want influencing you? Mm-hmm. You know, are they meth addicts or are they <laughs> yeah. people that are trying to learn skills that you admire? regardless of how long you've known them right yeah. uh yeah so that's i think that's the answer don't worry so much about old versus new 
Cool? All right, so now we actually recorded this earlier. We're going to hop into a call with someone from Iraq. And uh, it takes we're, – we're all over the place. I'm not going to lie. We didn't immediately know how to approach this call, but we do get to discuss a little bit about uh, this person's perspective on what's been unfolding there politically, geopolitically, but also the part that it wound up being I think the most interesting is the personal – uh, experience of someone who's been living in Iraq their whole life. Yeah, who was six years old, six years old when yeah. 9-11 happened, basically, right? Uh, no, six years old when we invaded. Which oh, no, when, we, when Saddam Hussein died. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so here that is. Hello? Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up? How are How's you? How's it going, man? <laughs> I'm, I'm How are you, Charlie? How are you, man? I'm hey, excellent. We're doing well. How are you? <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, can so we, if, all, I wanted to ask real quick, me. sorry, sorry. Uh, if you don't want to, I just wanted to clarify, do we, do you want to share your name or first name? Uh, if not totally cool. Yeah, it's, it's okay. You can share my first name. Okay. What is, what is your name? Uh, Ahmad. 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 Thank you so much for calling in. We, we just talked briefly yeah. about what's going on and, uh, dude hit us. What's, what's happening? Yeah, so before I want to, I just want to give a brief introduction. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you guys for having me making the call. It's finally happening. Like yeah. it's been, uh, it's, it's been crazy in Iraq. So, uh, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, like the entire thing uh, dates back way, way before, like before, like Iraq has never been free of conflict ever since the fall of Saddam Hussein. And I know that, uh you know, uh, America was partially, if not, takes the majority of the responsibility mm -hmm. for installing the government after Saddam Hussein. Uh, but honestly, um, you know, the governments that followed Saddam Hussein since 2003, I think it's been like 24, I think Saddam Hussein took power since 90, that, that's like 24 years mm -hmm. but the government has not delivered on a single promise that they have made so since 2003 there was poverty high unemployment rates lack of basic services like electricity supplies okay mm -hmm. so uh which is why the recent protests are happening and how did the government respond well as you may have heard uh they responded with gunfire they took out like hundreds and hundreds of protesters. It's so sad mm -hmm. to hear about this. What do you mean and took out, by the way? Do you mean killed or imprisoned or? Killed, yeah, killed, killed. I'm sorry, I don't normally speak with native English speakers, so you can tell that. No, I'm your English of, is excellent. That was what uh, I, I, that's a follow up that we can get to, which is why is your English so good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. I get a lot of compliments, and I'm actually a graduate. I study English. Mm -hmm. uh, and not that this, this is the reason, because this is actually. Um, Self, I taught myself how to speak English, wow. listening to, uh, watching videos on YouTube. But I'll get to that in a second, sure. um, or in a minute. Um, uh, to finish my point, so yeah, Iranians were responsible for the killings of the majority of those people in Iraq, and uh, the reason I'm saying this is because we have evidence for this, like. Like right now, we literally, it's like we have no army. We have no, uh, the, as you know, the prime minister of Iraq has actually resigned after mm -hmm. what, what has happened. So we're now under a caretaker government, which is, uh, you know, doesn't have the right to even establish any, uh, they, they recently, I don't know if you've heard, 
because a lot a lot has happened so it's hard to like yeah, i don't yeah. know where to start well so if, you know, if, if i if i can i can try to even take us back a little farther because yeah, yeah. i'm curious about you yeah. uh how old were you when yeah. saddam hussein was taken out oh uh what, in 2003 i think i was six years old or okay something. so you so were very I, little I, do you have memories remember, of that yeah yeah i do absolutely okay so uh, so i'm very curious about this you obviously are um, so, solidly educated, very smart. You've taught yourself English. Thank you. Thank what you. Thank you. has been the perception of was that a good thing that that happened or in your family and then I guess amongst the people you know at large? It, was yeah. that good, yeah. bad, or terrible? I don't, I don't know. Uh, he only sought power. And the thing is, he, he, the country was weak at the time. So uh, he made Iraq beneath his feet like – we were weak. We couldn't resist him. And so uh, he used this method of punishment and reward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, he would punish the people severely, like he would kill people in the most brutal ways imaginable. Mm -hmm. And those who followed him, they were rewarded, obviously, uh, houses and things like that. So in a time that the country was in an, in an economical, uh, in a severe economical state, mm -hmm. Uh, in a terrible economical state. Uh, so the war with Iran, with Iran, sorry, lasted eight years. I think 500,000 American, uh, sorry, uh, Iraqis were killed and Iranians. So it was, uh, I mean, the wars that he waged, neither he nor the, the country were able to with, withstand its implications. And uh, I, I don't want to get into conspiracies where yeah, America's like formed ISIS and whatnot. I don't want to get into that because I don't have enough evidence for well, that. Well, you know what's fascinating is I've uh, that's not a popular conspiracy over here. You know what I mean? It's just oh. interesting. And I'm not saying that it's true, not true. I have no idea. Uh, but yeah. fascinating to hear that the types of rumors that go around, of course, are geographically. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm actually curious about that. So the there is a rumor in Iraq that perhaps the United States created ISIS in order to what? Uh, I don't know. Like the thing is, I don't uh, entertain those okay. uh, conspiracies a lot because, um, and this is why I don't get into policy in general. And this is only recently that I got into uh, politics, sorry, politics, not policy. Uh, this is only recently that I got into politics because of the recent events. And I feel like this is a crucial period in both Iraq and its relationships with, with other nations. And right now, Iraq is uh, like uh, the reason that I didn't get into politics as much is because there are a lot of stuff that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Unless that you've been in the event yourself, you don't know. There are a lot of ambiguous stuff, even though we have the Internet and we have a lot of stuff to uh, doc, we have a lot of documents. We, there are still stuff that we don't know. Um, so going back to like uh, throughout the point, you guys can interrupt me if you have any questions. I mean, I have so or, many questions. It's just tough to it's tough to pin it yeah. down. So lay, lay it on so it, why don't you me. go ahead and continue, and then I'll I'll hop in as uh, as they come up. Okay, okay. So I was talking about the Iranian influence in Iraq and how they helped us out defeat ISIS. And so uh, after they helped us out defeat ISIS, we took so many sacrifices. And you have no – like it's it's hard to imagine how brutal this group is. Like you hear about it in the news, mm -hmm. ISIS and ISIS and ISIS. But these, this group is so brutal. Like they go as far as to uh, display people's heads on the streets just to 
show show off basically mm-hmm. this is how brutal this group is uh, they beheaded they behead people and it's awful like you wouldn't even imagine anybody being happy under their their rule and they like i don't know since 2014 until 2017 that's when we liberated mosul so wow uh, uh, yeah, yeah i mean again as someone who doesn't follow it it's crazy that that yeah how how uh, contentious and how many groups by the way i was expecting to be like and this is my naive okay there's america yeah. there's iran yeah. there's iraq and the nicest you know but it's you know oh there's iranian backed militias that are operating in certain yeah. areas it's it's so not clearly delineated and they weren't holding these flags yeah. they were holding a militia flag so like obviously there's a lot of different groups with a lot of differing uh objectives ahmad what city do you live in uh baghdad how much does all of this influence your your day-to-day experience like when you talk about heads in the streets is that a once every six months there's an event it doesn't affect you personally but it's it shakes the city or is this is this the thing where you when you're on the street are are scanning it now i don't want to say scared but where you're aware of where threats might come from like what is the day-to-day like for you ah i see that's actually a good question uh the thing that's happening here is that you know, when an event like this, when someone, like one person gets beheaded, it's all over the news and it becomes even more inflated than it already is. And so this group gained so much popularity because of that. They use the, uh, you know, fear tactic. Like, uh, you wouldn't imagine this. Like, uh, do you know how many ISIS fighters it took to take over Mosul against how many Iraqi soldiers? I have no idea. <laughs> there were... Uh, three uh, thirty thousand Iraqi soldiers in Mosul. Like that is not to count the police stations and all. Against just one thousand and five hundred Iraqi, uh, sorry, ISIS members that actually managed to take over Mosul. Like imagine the difference in numbers. Wow, how's that possible? Like, yeah. uh, well, officers fled. They instantly, as soon as they heard that. Imagine like the type of uh, commitment these have to their to their. Uh, or loyalty, like a lot of police officers, or sorry, uh, Iraqi uh, mem- uh, army members, they don't have that much loyalty. And this is for a majority of reasons that would take us forever to try and explain. Sure. And, uh, I mean, it's, but, it's, it's almost but, uh, it's almost self-explanatory when you talk about how brutal it can be and <laughs> if there's not a strong yeah, regimented yeah, but, discipline that's built into the training, then that's expected. But at the same time, the losses that that we have we had to endure during that when during the fall of Mosul are crazy. It's like an entire war, man. It's 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 just awful. So let's and get back to your about... life for a sec. So like, so you you yeah. wake up in the morning. You're not in Mosul. There's not a head on the street. Uh, yeah. Are you fearful of of explosion? Like, what is it? What is your when you plan for the future? How hard? How far ahead can you plan? Oh, uh, not 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 far, not mm-hmm. far. I mean, I I'm pretty lucky in that regards that I have skills that I uh, that I can implement. Like for instance, my English language did help me get a job, mm-hmm. unlike many other people. So my English is kind of rare; it's something that you don't see often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's crazy that I managed to do this on my own without actually traveling to yeah. any native English-speaking country. Um, so this did uh, give me some opportunities, but not entirely, because you wouldn't believe how hard it is to get a job. And this is part of the reason why people are protesting in, in Iraq. It's a lot of people don't have a future that is 
uh, a lot of people just don't have a future. Basically, they graduate, they sit at home, and the <laughs> most of the colleges that they graduate from, the degree that they have is pretty much has no value because there's so much competition. Uh, very little people get hired into jobs, and it's it's all bad. So, so, so it, let me pause you one second. In every sense of the word, yeah. So, so sure. it sounds like, and and because tr truly, I have no idea, which is why some of these questions might sound so stupid. But it sounds no, like, no, not at all. like, no a, like a primary sure. concern of the people your age is more to do, and correct me if I'm wrong, with unemployment, uh, no job yeah. prospects, economic yeah, yeah. issues, yeah. as compared exactly. to uh, physical safety. Death. Like, is can I trust that Baghdad will be under uh, non-ISIS control in three years from now? Oh, today it's more economic. Definitely, okay. it's more economic. Got yeah. it. Yeah, but but you know what the fear is right now? Mm-hmm. There are so many things, especially in this period. Like what, what we fear right now is since Iran did help, and, and I'm not trying to paint a good picture for Iran. I just said, like, we want them out. This is, let me just make that really clear. Because their influence on the government is exactly why we're in this mess today. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is this is just uh, generally what's been accepted by the protesters and uh, and a lot of people, it's been revealed because they're the they're the ones that uh, that are responsible for killing those hundreds of protesters, and the government did nothing. That's that's the that's the awful part of it. Let's try a strong oversimplification thing, and this might oversimplify, but I'm going to give you some a uh, little bit of uh, free association, if you will. I'll, I'll say some names or some events, and you give me, if you could quickly in a few sentences your feelings about this person or event and then like ben said if this corresponds to the best of your knowledge with popular iraqi opinion so uh donald trump what do you think what do you sense the the, po the popular opinion is of him the popular oh first you do, first you i would say yeah what do you think about donald trump what do i think about donald trump uh, I don't think nothing, honestly. He's just a president doing his job. He he has the right to uh, retaliate. He has the right to do everything he wants to do. But uh, what do I think of him? In which like in which aspect? I mean, that honestly says a lot. <laughs> uh, in America, I've <laughs> never heard anyone say that. <laughs> so the fact, okay, so you don't have a strong opinion about him. Uh, does Iraq have a strong opinion about him? Because in America, I mean, yeah, he's the sure, most polarizing sure. figure that there is. Yeah, people either sure. love him or no, absolutely hate him. Divided. Yeah, Iraqis are divided right now. Mm -hmm. Some, especially like uh, a portion of Shia, a portion of Shia uh, presence in Iraq are actually uh, against Trump and mm -hmm. they want him, they want America out, especially those who have been damaged during the Iraq, uh, the, uh, the invasion of Iraq, they want they want America out. Like they don't care about the consequences. Got but it. the major, the rest of the, the groups, like the Kurds, Sunnis, and me included, um, we don't we don't really subscribe to that idea that America should leave Iraq. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So and then specifically the killing of Soleimani. Uh, yeah. And even including because I know there was an Iraqi general there. What is your like? Yeah. yeah. Good move. Bad move. Uh, or what do you think? Uh, I think it was a good move. Okay. It was a good move uh, in a sense that uh, we this this man ha has been responsible for, as you may know, uh, the majority of the militia presence in Yemen and Syria and Iraq. And so this is, I want the militia to be over. I want only the government. I want the government only to 
uh, have army and not, no militia. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I want I want the militia's presence in Iraq to be to be to end basically. Sure. So this is this is a good move. So so I know, for instance, uh, you know Syria and many cities in Syria became so. Uh, so, I mean, in danger of being bombed, essentially, that there's this huge Syrian refugee crisis. Uh, people that yeah. otherwise would not have wanted to leave their home are like, I cannot stay here. Do you, mm-hmm. is that a, is that something that realistically you see in your future? Where you're like, I need to leave Iraq? Or is it like, no, I do feel like I could stay here. Uh, things will calm down or I can, uh, or even I'm willing to stick it out if they don't. This is a completely, this is a completely personal question. Sure, so. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I personally have always want, dreamed of leaving to a, a night of I actually, ever since I was a kid, I dreamed of going to the United States and I was a fan of the American culture because mm-hmm. uh, I watched the movies and you know how, how the movies paint everything. Yeah. Uh, it's not like that. But... And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But basically I'm trying to get a, an idea across is that, um, I just, I just feel the thing that I like about America is the freedom. Like, um, uh, this is not going to, not many Iraqis are going to see this. I don't feel like uh, a lot of Arabs are going to see this, but I'm an atheist, okay? So mm-hmm. uh, I do, I don't know if this is going to bring any consequences. Hopefully no one watches that, but I'm an atheist. I don't and, think anyone's going to track you with uh, a name uh, I have the same, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, so you have, you pretty much share the exact same you hold similar beliefs than I. Than I, I'm also a determinist, so mm-hmm. uh, we have that on the face. So I feel, I feel. Sometimes I feel like I'm isolated. Like although, yes, I do have friends who share the same thoughts similarly, but I do feel isolated at times, and I feel like uh, I would have way better opportunities and way better, way better future uh, if I actually have a plan. Of course, if I go to the states without a plan, I'm basically. <laughs> Thing. I'm basically uh, uh, dooming myself, mm-hmm. if that's a word. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, uh, I wish I know more. I wish I know how to, like, there are a lot of people who are way, like, I'm not being arrogant here, but they are wor- way worse than me in terms of, like, linguistic skills and whatnot. And they have managed to travel and they have managed to live there, and mm-hmm. not in America, but in other foreign uh, countries and they were accepted and welcomed there. I have no idea how they did that. <laughs> I wish I could find out. I wish I could find out. I wish like someone would just instruct me. This is uh, this is kind of a lot of people ask me about. Like even in college, they were like, "How did you learn? You must have went. You must have went to a native English speaking country. You must have went to America, spent some time there, right? Because uh, you can't have that language. You can't possibly have that." Uh, and mo- uh, there are. I'm not saying that there aren't people who speak fluent English. There are, but the majority of them did actually manage to travel and they spent some time there. They spent their childhood and the way they, when they went back, they already have the language. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that doesn't, doesn't exist, but what happened was, uh, since I was a child, my mom brought this like a uh, CD player that had a movie and it would kept, it would kept like we, I would repeat this movie on and on. And on. so I've memorized some of the dialogue, like to this extent, uh, it was fright night. I think it was released in 1984. Yeah. And so uh, I don't want to go into detail. I don't know how much time you guys have. Uh, it's right. You can monologue the whole movie for us is what you're saying. <laughs> Start to finish. <laughs> hour and a half monologue. You got it. <laughs> okay. So uh, when, uh, when, like, I had, I had a TV in my room, and then it, it kept 
uh, like I had uh, a channel that would constantly display uh, American music and English type music. So this would, would go on and on and on all the time. So I would like here, listen to rap uh, music, that ones that made by the M&M and 50 Cent and, uh, and those, those tend to be kind of intricate. And so this is how I learned my language. When the internet came, uh, so I started repeating the element of repetition, you know, assists in the accent. Mm -hmm. And so when the internet came, everything changed. I started, like, I became obsessed. Like every single research that I do, every single problem that I have, I must type it out in English. And I mm -hmm. learned so much along the way. And I still, I still am learning because you can't really learn a language 100%. Sure. Why did you well, want to yeah, learn so English so badly? Language. So this is in terms of language, like in terms of how I became uh, an atheist. Mm. Um, well, simply, uh, it was it was a matter of I was always doubtful, mm -hmm. like especially given the fact that I'm more exposed to the American culture than your average Iraqi, I became more doubtful. Like, I started to look at things outside the bubble of of my religion, right? So, uh, when I did this, uh, I started watching videos of atheists that are Arabs as well, and I was like, I'm not alone, and uh, then that got to more uh, me watching more uh, atheist YouTube channels that are in English that, uh, about uh, Americans doing them, you know. So uh, it became clear to me that this is a more uh, this is a wide held belief by so many people, and I wasn't alone. So wow. I decided to go that route, you know. That's incredible. I couldn't be any happier. Like I feel free, although. I, I would like some freedom in expressing that because I have a lot, and I mean a lot to say about yeah. the source of every little thing that's been happening in the Arab world. I have a lot to say about that. And I'm not, as I've said, I'm not quite educated that much politically because I'm not interested in politics as much. But uh, the belief side of it uh, is what I'm interested in. Yeah. If you were to start a YouTube channel and you were to go on publicly share ideas in Iraqi Arabic about atheism. Would you be putting yourself executing myself and I was basically executing myself in okay. public. Well then yeah. don't do that. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not to this degree. It's not to this degree because uh, there are I think in the recent era because of the rise of the internet more people are getting exposed to uh, Western ideas than ever before. I'm not saying there are a lot of them because you can't call them because nobody goes out and says like Yo, I'm an atheist you know because you can't tell and estimate exactly how many atheists there yep. are in, in Iraq. This is just a random estimate, but I believe there are probably 12%. Don't take it with a grain of salt, but this mm -hmm. is based on the people I know, uh, okay, because this is just my circle of friends. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, you can't tell. You can't tell. Right, and because there'd be, there'd be a danger to you to try to, if you were to try to publicly spread ideas about atheism, it would put you in danger. Absolutely, absolutely. If not, if not from like the first thing you would, if not in danger, if not in danger of like being killed, but in danger of like being disowned by your family mm -hmm. and uh, and I think you guys had a caller uh, previously yeah. that had similar issue, Mormon. right? Yeah, yeah. But I do think there's a difference because he he would not be hurt. He would be disowned by his family, which is very difficult. Oh, but yeah, he, but yeah, then he could yeah. just leave. No physical. He could drive a car to yeah. a city that was a two hour drive away and integrate and live there seamlessly and unharmed. Um, exactly. So I do think there's a difference between 
even being a Mormon versus being someone in your position? Just the thought of that, like I said, the thing that I love about America is freedom. Like, I want right. to be free. I want, I want to say what I want. You know what I'm saying? So this is one of those things. I mean, in Iraq, we don't have an official law against atheism, but you would risk the stuff that I mentioned. Like, a random person could just be so hateful and just uh, murders you out on the streets. Like, like uh, you don't have the strong government to stop these things so you wouldn't trust that and I don't, you wouldn't even trust that they would support you in the first place hmm. at least i have the internet to talk to people like you right <laughs> so thankful right absolutely uh, thankful that i even have this opportunity um there's always that but like uh you know the media it's it's here's the tricky part the media is always like when you listen to the media you hear one person getting killed it's almost it's way, way. There's this book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Are you yep. guys familiar with it? Yep. This is the crazy. I'll and tell you, man, talk. the most interesting thing about our conversation that is blowing my mind right now is that, uh, you know, when, when the U.S. and Russia as were in a Cold War, uh, my impression oh. was that we hated Russians. You know, we like Russians, the people we hated because we had no ability to yeah. communicate and interact with them. Uh, of course, of course. And the, the most hopeful thing that I'm hearing is that it's, it seems like there's so much more understanding. It's like, no, I, I like like elements of American culture. And, I, you know, any Americans, like, I can understand that, that or some of us, you know, that Iraqis have uh, lives and families and things that go beyond whatever anger the, the governmental issues might be. And that you've read Thinking Fast and Slow and watched, you know, whatever night, night shift in 1984. <laughs> like, I feel like if, if there is a way to stop war in the future, it's going to primarily come from these cultural interactions and an increased ability to communicate travel like exactly making a buddy on apex legends that lives in iraq <laughs> we need to get these servers to not just be so localized that's the secret everybody needs a headset and <laughs> by but the way PUBG is looking off in iraq like it's it's one of the most popular video games in what, iraq like which one is PUBG. 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 All right, so you're a little yeah. bit behind. <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to be Fortnite in a, in a year or two, and then a, but that's that's availability. Uh, like like this game is just free and it's available on every single yeah. uh, mobile phone, so it's it's availability. I think if Call of Duty was uh, a little bit more accessible to the to the average Iraqi, I think it would have been way what more sh- popular. Because I know that a lot of the fights are situated somewhere in the Middle East with Call of Duty. That's just, <laughs> that's crazy, man. Because, <laughs> like, even video games are $60, because $60 is a lot for the average Iraqi. Mm-hmm. To yeah. I'm telling you, I'm, like, I'm one of them, and I, I try to escape this backward, these backward traditions, and mm-hmm. I try as best as I can, but, and I managed to do that, but then you don't blame other people who haven't because they grew up in an environment that didn't allow them to. Uh, I mean, I was lucky to to grow up in an environment where a computer was a thing. I am telling you, uh, given the fact that we are on here and you found us on YouTube and you found Chris, like there is a Iraqi guitar channel. There's an Iraqi charisma channel that maybe hasn't yet been made. There, there are so many opportunities on the internet. Yeah, and yeah. this is the weirdest thing. I thought that what was going to stop you when we got on this phone call from achieving your dreams was geopolitical issues. But I have to be honest, what I'm hearing for your particular situation is that it's the same things that stop other people, which is nervousness to put oneself out there, uh, you know, on a YouTube channel or lacking clarity in how to go about achieving one's dreams, which is very, 
it's great. I'm so happy to hear that. Like that that you're not been, necessarily been, limited, yeah. with the exception of the atheist channel, uh, by uh, yeah. <laughs> by what's going on in your country. So, uh, yeah, dude, make a YouTube you guys, channel. Make a YouTube channel. I've been watching you guys since 2016. Uh, sorry, since 2016, and uh, I kind of learned a lot from you guys. And I still like I don't struggle a lot with nervousness because I'm pretty. Like confidence comes from knowledge. Like when you know something, when you're when you know more about the work environment, when you know what you're getting yourself into, you generally have more confidence because you know what to expect, right? Mm-hmm. But when you don't know what to what to expect, you don't have the uh, clue on what questions are being laid out to you. So I, I generally do good in the interviews, but that is to say, if I get to them, the problem is that I don't. Uh, I the the jobs that I do get. Uh, offers to I get to the interview and then I get it but if I don't then I don't <laughs> obviously if I don't get to the interview mm-hmm. so I don't have a problem with that got it yeah cool man All so right, let's, got, let's got, wind down for today got the, got the advice yeah cool thank you very much Ahmad thank you for hopping on I know it's late over there yeah pre- I really appreciate you, you so talking to I us I hope I did it justice I hope I did it justice <laughs> uh, I hope I don't I hope I don't uh, you know uh, regret not saying something but uh, hopefully it went well. You let us know. We uh, we're definitely gonna have to trim some of it down. So just so you know, it's not to say that it was not good or anything no, no, like that. All. But we we're gonna have okay, to fit it into a podcast. Um, so there's definitely gonna be pieces that are that are clipped. But keep an eye out. It should be up hopefully this tomorrow. This is my nervous English, by the way. <laughs> this is not- it's, you're great, man. Like when you meet me in person, my English is way better than that. That's impressive. This English was impressive. I can't yeah, thank you very much. All right, Ahmad. Have take care, man. We'll talk to you. Maybe again you soon. Too. You too. Awesome. Later, okay. bud. Thank you. Bye. Woo! Cool. I did not expect it to go that way. No. That's fascinating to me. One in 200 civilians dead from violence in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And he does not begrudge the government for it. Yeah. Or or even if he does, it's not to the degree that he's like, he's like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have done that, but don't leave now. It's not... Yeah, yeah, I don't even. Well, and I think for, I mean my impression from the media I watch is that those that's two hundred thousand deaths from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I don't know now if that's the case after talking to him or if it's a combination of U.S., Iran, ISIS, militia, Iraq government. Yeah, you know what I mean. Whereas what what I've heard is yeah, those are those are deaths from drone strikes from the U.S. Yeah. And now I'm not saying that's not the case, but I don't know. I'd have to look into it more. Yeah, because there's so many different parties at war with each other over there. Yeah. So we can wrap this up, but yeah, what did I'm trying to figure what I took from that? I said it kind of. I'm shocked that his biggest concern is economic and getting a job. Yeah, one in two hundred people seems like it would be. I'm blown away. It's a lot. <laughs> I guess it's over twenty years still though. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm blown away that that's the case. And even now, it seems obviously it's it's a more dire circumstance than what we're encountering, but it still seems like. He's still mostly concerned with with using his skills and getting a job and traveling and not like. Oh no, uh, my building's going to be blown yeah, up. Yeah, he didn't sound scared that there was going to be an explosion that took out his house. Or a proxy war in Baghdad that was, you know, Iran's on this side of the block and America's on this side of the block and yeah. like so who who knows uh if he it's crazy cuz I was getting nervous about World War 3, but it's like if this guy's going to live in relative uh calmness. Calmness. How the heck am I going to be yeah. nervous nervous about this not that not that that doesn't mean that i can prepare or help in any way but like the worry on for me would just be crazy compared 
to his situation. Sure. Well, at the same time, scale is weird, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if there was another 9-11 that happened in 2020 as a retaliation to the assassination or murder or whatever of this general, people would be devastated, right? Mm-hmm. If thousands of people were dead, thousands of people out of 300 million, mm-hmm. which would be tragic. And also he is maybe just so used to it that that level of violence would he would still be mostly concerned economically it sounds if there was a terrorist attack in iraq maybe not in in his city let's say in a different city and five thousand people died i think he'd probably wake up the next day and not be more concerned for his safety than he was you just get used to it interestingly yeah well and i wasn't when 9-11 happened i lived in the suburbs i wasn't scared that i our school would get attacked we were in the middle of nowhere basically Mm -hmm. but it still shook the nation right without making me scared for myself. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he's not scared for himself, even if there's a 9-11 that's going to happen in the year 2020, somewhere in his country and 5,000 people will die. And I'm not saying that would happen, but yeah, his day-to-day since the age of six has just incorporated warring factions. Yeah. And so what he needs to figure out to do is how to, how he's going to get food and pay rent wow. by getting a job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, people are, I, I see what you're saying. There's always something like that happening. So... And he's just continued living. So yeah, at some two, point, you're just like, that's background noise. 200,000 people over 20 years, about, you know, some, some rough numbers there. Is, 0.5% of the population. Well, no, what I'm saying is that's that's more than, how many deaths is that a year? Uh, uh, 10,000? Ish. Right? 10,000 yeah. deaths a year. How many people died in 9-11? Three. 3,000. 3, 3,300, I believe. Yeah. So at some point, from the age of six onward, right, there's just been more civilian deaths happening every year than we experienced from the the worst terrorist attack that we've had so numbers wise it's probably not gonna be him and he still needs to get food Mm -hmm. whereas i think as an american we are afraid that there would be another 9-11 that would be devastating you know and you would fear it would be you or someone you know or a city where you knew people you know what i mean and it would shake the nation Mm -hmm. so there's an interesting perspective in terms of our comfort levels with violence on our soil, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think his is probably just a lot higher than yours. Yeah. Well, uh, comfort or just, yeah, just that's what it is. It's crazy. Sure. Whereas that was cool. I, that was, I'm glad we got to talk to him. Yeah. But we, you and I were still saying what major cities are closest to Iran. Yeah. You know, we're scared of that terrorist attack. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's funny. It's like Baghdad. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is New York or Los Angeles closer to Iran? Like where it's uh, Baghdad's closer to Iran. Yeah. Like, that's that's what's closest to Iran, Mosul or whatever. You know, the, these are the places where, ah, I don't even know what to make of it. It's a big old world. Bad things happen, but also life goes on in 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 a strange, sometimes untraumatically interrupted way, which is surprising for me. That's the podcast, ladies and gents. Have a good day. Goodbye. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.